0: and a trendsetter in the field of mindful leadership. Your host, Holly Duckworth.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us for another conversation on the Everyday Mindfulness Show. Today, we're kicking it up a notch. We're going to have a conversation with Judson Brewer. Judson is the director of the Research Center for Mindfulness at Brown University. Judson, thanks for saying yes to coming on the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So we're really excited to dive into a conversation with you about, you know, we always start the show with what does mindfulness mean? And so if we get to talk to a researcher, we're going to get a different perspective. We always ask the guests, what's what's your definition of mindfulness? Let's start there.
2: Sure. It's a great question and one that I won't be the, you know, the expert at answering, but I can certainly talk about it from how we approach it, which is, you know, looking at this, uh, basically bringing awareness to what's happening right now, but also looking at this attitudinal quality, you know, are we being sucked in? Or are we pushing something away? Basically, are, are we biased by our previous experiences? And is that affecting us so that we're habitually reacting in a moment rather than, uh, you know, kind of mindfully, or I'll say, rather than just responding um, through a through true awareness?
1: So Jensen, one of the things that I get as a a teacher of mindfulness practices out there is a lot of people push back on me about, oh, this is this is religious, this is spiritual. And one of the things that I'm inspired about is your work helps people understand how to use it in their everyday living. How do you address this concern we sometimes get as we say the word mindfulness out there?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's a (laughs) good question. So flippantly I might say, well, the Buddha wasn't Buddhist. But really, if you look at uh, if you look at the Buddhist um, history, for example, the Buddhist psychology, it's really you know it's really about describing and understanding how our mind works more than having following some rites and rituals or anything that is, that has a religious undertone. Uh, really, these practices of helping us wake up to what's actually happening are much more fall much more into a psychological realm than they do into a religious realm. And as evidence for that they fit very nicely with any religious practice or tradition. There's no, you know, you, you can't be, a, you can be a Christian and practice being aware, you can be, you know, Buddhist and practice being aware, you can be Hindu, you can be Muslim, you know, you can be Jewish. All of these are totally compatible with bringing awareness to what's happening.
1: I, I couldn't agree more on it. It's one of those things that I think um, the more we see this work out in the world, the more we get to educate people and open their minds to what's possible uh, when you have these practices. We can reduce some of that, that fear and doubt on, oh, is this just religious? And we get to live the, these principles. So I'm curious, do you have a daily mindfulness practice? And if so, what does that look like for you?
2: There are several components uh, to my my daily practice. One is that my wife and I uh, practice you know formal meditation together. She practices a number of different you know, she practices in Zen tradition, but also in the Christian contemplative tradition. And so, so we'll do a you know formal sit, um, which is much the way that people kind of could stereotypically envision it. You know, um, but then throughout the day, I really over the years explored and kind of broadened this practice to these in the moment informal practices. So really looking to see any time when I'm kind of caught up in a situation or contracted and just bringing some kind, curious awareness to that and seeing what unfolds through that, both in terms of being able to learn what the conditions are that are making me contracted, so that I can see, you know, learn from that, learn the cause and effect relationship there, but also see what conditions are leading to ease and connection and joy. So it's really an every moment practice more than every day practice, I would, I would put it that way for my own life.
1: Well, I, I love that you speak that into the show because we talk about everyday mindfulness and yet I, I teach what I call applied mindfulness. So it is that what do you do in the moment when you're triggered or, you know, if you're a salesperson, you know, you got to pick up that next next phone call. That th- That's really the practice. It doesn't happen on a meditation pillow. While for many of us, the practice starts there, I think the power of this is we take it into the anxiety-filled world of the future is the practice as we live it off
2: the mat. Yeah, and that's actually what our clinical studies have been showing. You know, with our, in our first study with smoking, we actually found that the informal practices were moderating the effects even more than the, than the formal mindfulness practices were. And you know, That was kind of against what I had hypothesized because I'd grown up, you know, back, it was a w- long time ago, but I was like, oh, I, I formally meditate, that must be what's helping people quit smoking. But in fact, it was (laughs) having people learn to be with whatever was happening right there, like with that craving and also in particular, paying attention to what that cigarette tastes like and what it smells like and what the direct cause and effect relationship is. And that's really what was the big driver. We've actually applied that to our eating programs, to our anxiety programs. And have found that the informal practices really help people understand what this stuff is all about as compared to asking this question why am I sitting on this kitchen paying attention to my breath? You know?
1: Well, and that's the power. I like your, your take on this whole idea of the habits that we form. And you have a book out, The Craving Mind, From Cigarettes to Smartphones to Love, Why We Get Hooked and How We Can Break a Bad Habit. Long title, but something for everybody in this. So if, if a listener was going to gonna grab the book, what's what's a nugget or something that they might use to start thinking about their, their mind is a center for craving, but also utilizing their mindfulness practices.
2: So the book's really oriented in two parts. One is to help people understand from many, many different perspectives, how our minds work, basically how our minds get caught up in all sorts of things. So, you know, as an addiction psychiatrist, I can talk to the folks who are trying to help people who are struggling with addictions, but there's, you know, there's a chapter on social media, one on distraction one on thinking, one on romantic love, all these different types of um, things are where we can get caught up. You know, we can get, I was in college, I was totally addicted to, to romantic love, you know? And so really the first piece is understanding how our minds actually work. That's the whole, you know, the first half of the book. And then the second half is actually taking that and helping us see how instead of things like willpower, which is more myth and muscle over, you know, it's really dominated uh, the landscape for the last 30 years. But as we're seeing, whether it's, you know, obesity crisis or opioid, you know, opioid crisis, all of these haven't, you know, willpower hasn't really done much. Um, And right in front of us have been these solutions where if we actually pay attention to how our minds work, we might actually be able to tap into that system itself to help us overcome things from distraction, to addiction, uh, to even being mean to people. So, you know, the nugget from the second half of the book is really about applying what we learn about how the mind works and how our own minds work uh, to taking that power and tapping into it so that we can learn to concentrate, so that we can learn to be kinder, and so that we can learn to be more resilient rather than fall prey to anxiety.
1: So I love this this whole idea of, technology addiction, and yet we're on a podcast. Lots of people are doing more, 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 more. I say, you know, in, in the, the book that I, that I just wrote, we live in a world of bigger, better, faster, and more. Mm-hmm. And, and a world that lives in FOMO, this new fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. So how, how can we use your research and mine we can overcome this fear of missing out?
2: Well, the first step there is really starting with understanding how our minds work. So if we can see how they work and we can break it down. It's very simple. Actually, there's, you know, if you think of caveman brain, we actually, you know, it helped us evolve to survive. Right. And so you can think of it having three essential elements. There's a trigger of behavior and a reward. So if you see food, You eat the food and then your stomach sends this dopamine signal to your brain. It says, remember what you ate and where you found it. So there's this reinforcement or reward based learning process that helps us remember where food is. We use the same process to help us avoid danger. You know, you see the saber tooth tiger, you run away. And the reward is you get to survive (laughs) to live another day. So both of these are set up to help us survive. That's, That's caveman times. But if you fast forward to modern day, this process isn't still in play, you know, that food is plentiful, you know, we have a kitchen, we have a refrigerator, there are restaurants that are open 24 seven. So we these brain processes are still at play, even though we're in modern day. And so our brain starts to learn things like, oh, well, you know, you could eat food when you're stressed, and then you'll feel better. And so we start to learn to stress eat. Our brains start to plan into the future and they start to worry about things when we're anxious. And then that worry takes over, gives us this little feeling of control so that we think, oh, yeah, I'm I'm doing something. I'm I'm actually affecting what we're actually doing is making ourselves more anxious. So if we don't understand how this process works, we're not going to be able to work with it. So if you take the example of, of fear of missing out. The trigger would be, you know, we see a social media post, for example, and then that behavior would be that worry. Oh, why wasn't I invited? Or, wow, you know, our mind just goes nuts. And then that result is not very rewarding at all, where we rush to, you know, go meet up with our friends or we, you know, we spend all night sulking that we weren't invited. And then that just spirals out of control, leading us, you know, worse for the wear.
1: So, so Judson, this is great. And you get to study all this all day long and you get to work with your mind and just understand how this whole thing thing works. But then there's the rest of us who live in the real world. And people tell me all the time, Holly, I can't meditate because I got monkey mind. I can't do this. My brain is going, going too fast. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've all heard that quote, you know, if you need five minutes to meditate, you know, if you, if you can't take five minutes to meditate, then you need all day. So what do you, what do you tell, tell those people that, that are, so afraid of the idea of even slowing down to hear their brain that they can't even get to a mindfulness practice and yet we see the effects that are happening in our world
2: that's a great question that's where we looked at the data and you know we in our first study with smoking cessation for example we got five times the quit rates of gold standard treatment and so we said okay if there's something here let's explore what's actually driving this effect and what was driving it most was these informal mindfulness practices. And so that's where we said, okay, can we actually start to package these things to help people in in their everyday ways like you're talking about? And and this is really important because my patients don't learn to smoke in my office. you know, They don't learn to stress eat in my office. So it's actually artificial to have them come to my office to help them change that behavior. So I had this idea, why don't we just take my office and package it and deliver it to them. So this is where we actually started developing and studying app-based mindfulness training programs. Because the idea is this is about helping people learn to be with what's happening in every moment. Like you're talking about, not just, oh, if I'm stressed, I should sit down and meditate for 30 minutes. We're just going to get more stressed because we're not going to get our work done. Um, So we actually started developing programs to just test to see if we could Start with informal mindfulness practices and layer in formal practices as people were learning to understand how their mind works. So, for example, you know we developed a program for smoking, um, one for emotional eating called Eat Right Now, and in the so for example, the Eat Right Now program, we did a clinical study. Uh, this was led out of out of UCSF. Where we look to see can we actually help people who are obese or overweight uh, work with their food cravings in the moment. And we found that we could actually get a 40% reduction in craving-related eating through an app-based mindfulness training program that started with just helping people understand how their mind worked and then apply that. Oh, when you're eating, pay attention. When you're, you know, when you have an urge to eat, pay attention. So it's not about taking extra time out of the day, it's about bringing these practices right into their daily life. We saw similar effects. We did a study with anxious physicians using our unwinding anxiety app. And we found that we got a 57% reduction in clinically validated anxiety scores. And so, you know, we started to see, wow, this is, this is pretty remarkable stuff. We're seeing consistent findings uh, in the research where we can actually deliver these programs through an app. So that's a long answer to your short question around how do we bring this into our everyday life? I would say we start by understanding how our minds work and bring awareness into our everyday life right in the moment when something's happening and learn from it.
1: Awesome. Jetson, you've given us some great tips. As we go on our little break, um, oftentimes a guest will, will share with us a question or a thought that somebody could ponder during the break that might help them become a little more mindful? Something come to mind for you that might be a great question that our people could maybe meditate on or be mindful with to explore these concepts more fully?
2: I would say, what does curiosity feel like in my body? People can ponder that. We can talk about why in a moment.
1: What does curiosity feel like in my body? Okay, we'll be right back after a short break.
0: The Everyday Mindfulness Show is brought to you by Leadership Solutions International. Are you hosting an upcoming conference or convention? Or looking for a speaker to provide inspiration and motivation? Would you like your audiences to know what you know as a listener of the Everyday Mindfulness Show? Check out Leadership Solutions International for more on mindful leadership keynote offerings, on-site mindfulness information centers, and trainings.
1: Welcome back to the Everyday Mindfulness Show where we are having a conversation with Judson Brewer, the Director of Research at the Center for Mindfulness. And Judson, you just teed us up a great question. What does curiosity feel like? So tell us a little bit more about why why we should should dance with that question in our unique mindful meditative practice.
2: Well, it really stems from this understanding of how reinforcement learning works. And as we talked about before, you know, reward-based learning is based on rewards, not on the behavior itself. So for example, you know, if we're triggered by stress to eat, and then we get that brief relief or that um, quick fix of feeling a little bit better or numbing ourselves out, that's the piece that actually drives future behavior. It's not the, the food itself, it's that reward from the food. So if behavior changed happened from just changing the behavior, then we would say, well, stop eating that or stop smoking or stop being anxious, (laughs) you know, our brains don't work that way. But what we, the ways our brains do work is through reward based learning. So if we can actually provide something that is one, an intrinsic behavior, something that we can always access as compared to eating something or smoking or whatever. And two, feels more rewarding than these old behaviors, then we've got a winning formula and our brain will actually start to incline itself toward that. So let me ask you, what feels better? Having a craving or being curious?
1: Well, for me, curious.
2: Yeah, and me too. And most, most almost everybody reports the same as what you just described. So let me ask you this question. If uh, you had to pick Which of those two, craving or curiosity, feels more contracted and which one feels more expanded or open?
1: A craving is limited. Curiosity is expansive.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we're seeing what you're pointing out is the difference in reward, tangible difference between these two. One, they feel different. Craving feels worse. Curiosity feels better. And you can actually point to how they feel different. So craving feels more contracted or more limited as you put it more driven you know i have to get that whereas curiosity is like hmm, it's more open which actually feels better so what we can train ourselves to do that's really what mindfulness is about is training ourselves to be curious in the present moment about whatever's happening so if we're craving a food for example or if we're worrying excessively We can simply be curious in that moment. Hmm, what does this feel like in my body? What does this craving feel like? And then we can start to explore those sensations as we open to what's ever happening. And what that does is two things. One is it helps us be with the craving uh, and see that it is just these sensations that are driving us. And two, it helps us be able to move through that because we see, oh, this, this is a craving that comes and goes. Um, and curiosity actually feels better. So I could be, you know, we can train ourselves to be curious all the time, which can help us break out of that old habit loop. So that's why I'm really talking about curiosity is it, it's really this, I don't you could think of it as a brain hack or basically just really understanding how our minds work. And applying these basic principles, whether you think of them as reward-based learning or you think of them as mindfulness training, I really see these two. It's very, very dovetailed. And we've even published papers on on these connections between ancient psychological models and and modern psychological models. They're very, very much aligned. Um, this is all just tapping into the strongest part of our brain. You know, instead of relying on things like willpower, which are the, come from the weakest parts of our brain, we can take these old, very strong evolutionary processes and actually tap into those. Why Why wouldn't we? You know, it's kind of a no-brainer, <laughs> so to speak.
1: And the the various professionals that I've interviewed on the show are that, that we live in a world, unfortunately, where it's question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. And the more we can open up to question discovery what what's possible what could it be what does it look like what does it feel like what does it sound like we open up an entirely different part of our of our head heart connection to to new answers that are still still being developed i'm i'm excited that that you're 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 shaking your head head yes i think that's where we have to get as a human society and so that that curiosity place whether as you said it's in food in, in addiction or any a thing the answer is just outside what we know today.
2: Absolutely. And curiosity helps us connect with ourselves and with the rest of the world, wherein you know, right now we're seeing a lot of disconnection, a lot of closing down, a lot of siloing, which isn't going to be sustainable long term.
1: Well, and you were, you and I were talking a little briefly before the show about this idea of anxiety and, you know, we're seeing anxiety. I, I talk in my book about, you know, increased suicide rates, increased divorce. Increased, I mean, there's a lot of negative impacts that can be attributed to the, the disconnection that are resulting in anxiety. And your research that you're working on right now is delving more into this topic. Would you like to share a little more about that?
2: sure so as we were exploring this you know this old caveman brain problem that we seem to have as in, in modern day we're kind of not using it in the way that it was intended and started to get these good results with our smoking program you know we got five times the quit rates of gold standard treatment with our eating program i think i mentioned we were getting you know 40% reduction in craving related eating a lot of folks in the program in our eating program were reporting that they were uh, it was anxiety that was actually driving their eating. So I started looking into that and exploring the research and it turns out that anxiety can actually be driven in a negatively reinforced habit loop. You know, we get anxious, we start to worry and that worry gives us the sense of control or whatever. And so it then starts to spiral <laughs> out of control because worry doesn't feel very good into itself. So we developed this Unwinding Anxiety app where we, you know, just deliver mindfulness training, short 10 minute bite-sized pieces where people can get practices that they can use in their everyday environment when they're anxious, and we took one of the toughest populations I could think of, which was physicians, because <laughs> you know? we physicians, you know, we armor up, you know, we have to can't show weakness, and we, we tend to put everybody first, and yet, you know, we become these martyrs that get exhausted and burned out, and there's now, an, you know, a burnout epidemic in in physicians. So, we did a study uh, just to see if folks would would use this program. We found that after three months, this is in anxious physicians who are all in clinical practice, we got a 57% reduction in generalized anxiety disorder seven scores. So, this is the standardized measure of of anxiety, 50% reduction, which was great. And we had thrown in some burnout questions to see if we could affect burnout as well because. One, we found that the two were highly correlated. And so we figured if they're highly correlated, maybe we'd see reductions there too. And lo and behold, we saw a 50% reduction in some of the subscales of the Maslach burnout inventory. Interestingly, the subscale that was most affected had to do with callousness or um, you know, when people were kind of distancing themselves from others. We didn't teach them anything in the program about burnout or callousness. ...ness, but we help them start to see, oh, what connection feels like versus disconnection and pushing away, and lo and behold, they were they were starting to connect more with others as well. So it was it was it was beautiful to see that, and also great to see that we can you know we can provide something that's simple, um, doesn't take a ton of you know, time for somebody to do you know ten minutes a day, uh, that can actually affect meaningful change in their lives.
1: Wow. Well. It's hard to capsulize your 20 plus years of research and in a 20 minute interview, but we are so grateful that you were willing to come on the show. I'm curious, what do you see as the future of mindfulness? Now as mindfulness is becoming more mainstream, you're seeing PBS doing shows, National Geographic, it's on the cover of a lot of magazines. Uh, Where do you see the future of mindfulness going?
2: That is a great question. And if I had a crystal ball that worked, I would, I would tell you, (laughs) I think, So I think just following the trajectory of some of these trends, we're seeing more and more delivery online and, you know, even we're we're doing this as well through app-based mindfulness training. And I think importantly, more folks, and I'm biased in this direction, but I think we're going to see more evidence-based treatments emerge where, you know, there are lots of folks doing lots of things with mindfulness, but some of those probably are not going to be as effective as others. And so... We're going to probably see the evidence based programs uh, rise to the top uh, and those will probably have sustainability and legs because they, you know, they actually do work. Whereas some of the things that are a little more um, trendy and faddish will, you know, they'll have their day and then they'll then they'll go away. So that's, that's my guess.
1: This makes sense to me. Well, how can we uh, connect to your work and support your work as you continue to advance this research around the world?
2: I have a resource website that's just drjud.com, drjud.com uh that actually has a bunch of free materials for folks that want to learn more about how habits form. Uh, we've got some nice animations on there that drive the that talk about the neuroscience of Things like everyday addictions. And I actually just put together a free healthcare provider course for any healthcare providers that want to, you know, do a 20-minute segment uh, for set for one week, seven segments where they can learn everything about how habits form to what the current evidence is on mindfulness, to how all of this works in the brain, uh, to even working with anxiety. Uh, resilience, uh, burnout, and even uh, smartphone addiction. So folks can find that on my website as well. And they can follow me on Twitter at Judd Brewer, at at J-U-D-E-R-E-W-E-R.
1: Wonderful. Well, any last minute tips before we let you get back to your research?
2: I would say keep exploring what it feels like to be curious. Hmm.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Remember Mindful Matters, and so do you.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more Mindfulness Every Day, visit EverydayMindfulnessShow.com and download the three day challenge and experience the ABCs of mindfulness.